um, bit of a week, Mark? Yes, bit of a week. Uh, I have arrived three days late and with nothing prepared. Great, let's do this. Let me quote directly from my notes, if I may. Yes, please do. Fucking look at these nerds. Oh, mise-en-scene. I don't think anyone has ever said mise-en-scene in such a horny way before. The way I whispered the word sex cannibal recently. Worst comes to worst, Mark. I'm willing to guillotine you for science. Thank you. That's really, really sweet. It's cold outside, but my pancreas is talking to me. I'm fucking, (laughs) I'm gonna leg it. You know how I feel about that, Mark. I think you feel great about it. Hello, everyone, and enjoy this sensation of having (laughs) as much to talk about on this week's podcast as I do, friends. (laughs) You are all part of the podcast this week. You're all Mm -hmm. part of the Joag story this week because we're all on a level playing field. You know what I mean? We're all kind of in the same boat here. I could sit you down in front of me with this mic and you'd have as much to fucking say. You'd have as much ready to say as I do right now. Uh, I could sit you on GarageBand with Corrigan on your little screen there. Hello, Cory. And you're as ready for this podcast as I am, which is to say not at all. Good day. <laughs> Excellent. Love it. You know, it, it's I, like you... I, oh, go I, ahead. I feel shit about it, right? Oh. And I'm going to have to talk about... I Well, I do. I'm going to have to talk this out. I'm going to have to talk this out because this has go been... Ahead. This has been kind of in the back of my mind all week. Joag therapy time. Well, yeah, it is. And I... I hope I hope this I hope you don't misconstrue or kind of take umbrage at 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 what I'm about to to kind of talk about here, right? But it's on 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 weeks like this when life intervenes in like a major way, right? I've had kind of last minute travel going for work. I've had to fucking travel about the place. There's been illness. There's been fucking just all manner of 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 circumstances conspiring and conflating. To knock Joag about three, four, five places down my priorities, right? Mm-hmm. And it stresses me out so much because I know how, you know, I know how much you hate when we're late. Sure. I know how much you hate when, uh, you know, we, ha- we, have to, we have to knock by a couple of days. And I, that, again, that stresses me out in return. And it starts to, and I, and I start to think, well, fuck, if... If it's, if it's going to be, I, I, I wonder, should my relationship with Jack of all Graves be a bit more casual? <gasps> you know? No way. I know. I, I know. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm giving voice to thoughts. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. If, if things intervene in my life that knock it down the priorities list, but yet it continues to remain, you know, a, 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 a priority for you, then that's an imbalance in our partnership, isn't it? That's an imbalance in our team, and I and I hate that. Hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you know that I'm I'm less bothered by things as long as you know I know yes. what's going on, which is one of the things that over the course of the past couple of years of our partnership has been like the learning curve and experience, and then understanding between each other is like as long as mm. you tell me things. I don't usually yeah. mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I know. And I've got, I'd, I'd like to think I've got better at that. Yeah, definitely. By a long shot. Do you remember that one time I tried ghosting you years ago? Yeah, you, you've done it like at least <laughs> twice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Not so my good. favorite. That's when you, that's when you incur the wrath of Corey. Like my <laughs> normal, so calm self. Suddenly you get uh, the dragon instead. <laughs> we've, uh, uh, to my mind, I think we've only ever like argued twice. And that's good. Yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah. We're doing pretty good. We're doing really good. So, which is to say, yes, I, I, God damn it, I wish to fuck that on weeks like this, uh, I, there was, there was a compromise which didn't, which, which worked. I don't know. Well, the compromise is we're here. Yes. On a Wednesday, we doing things yeah. slightly different than we usually do. Uh, yeah. We'll, uh, yeah. What would have been. The, see, and, and. You know, I, I think even like recording a cast where we talk about the cast. I even fucking that. I even hate that because I've <laughs> I've been on message boards in the past that have died under the weight of people talking about the fucking board as opposed to the topic. Right. Yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, and I would, 
Oh man, I I I hate to think of us going fucking in wood like that. <laughs> but we are a cast that talks about our lives and our. We are, yeah, we are. Our we life are. involves this podcast. It does. Uh, yes, uh, it does, and it uh, and those lives are about to collide. Yeah, they I'll are. Tell you that shit, those lives are about to fucking merge. In a beautiful big way. I am six days out. This time next week. I will be in London, in good old London town. I am very excited about that. Are you going, do you get entry into the event that Keo is working or not? No, not this one. I don't know. Maybe somehow. Well, it's Star Wars Celebration. I'm not really into. I didn't realize I was allowed to say or not. (laughs) Yeah, you can say what he's (laughs) doing. Don't just be delicately tippy-toeing around it then. Yeah, no, no, no. It's not a secret. He's, yeah, he's worked Star Wars Celebration every year for God knows how long, um, probably as long as they've been doing it. I think. Um, so could you get in on his on his lanyard and on his? Normally, with other things, yes, but with Star Wars, like obviously, mm. it's huge. All of the actors are there. Like, there's a lot more security. It's a lot more difficult to just be like, "Oh, I got you a bracelet or a lanyard or whatever" to get in. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you know, if I were like super into it. Like, I'm sure he could find some way to do it, (laughs) but I'm not like, I'm not into it enough to be like, you know, I reckon you could just put a fucking high vis jacket on and walk in. (laughs) No. One of the back entrance. I bet you fucking. Absolutely not. No. Those things are, you have no idea how locked down these things are. Um, Because, like, even if you have like a high vis jacket on, it's like there are different kinds of lanyards based on where you can go in the place. (laughs) So. Uh, you I can't just go to anywhere. It. I would approach it like a level of like Hitman. You know the game Hitman. Sure. Uh, I would. I'm fucking terrible at Hitman, by the way. But that's neither here nor there. Well. I would approach getting entry to Star Wars Celebration much as I would a level of Hitman. I would stand back and I would observe mm-hmm. the movement patterns of the various security <laughs> personnel. Uh, I would. There are no maybe... movement patterns. They just stand there. <laughs> they literally well, just stand there. <laughs> I would maybe chloroform one of them, or yeah, perhaps like a, a, a dart with a, a tip of frog poison. Yeah. Uh, and then I would don their clothes, don their garb, and then <laughs> that simply might do walk it. in. Yeah, there you go. You might need to take out like four of them, though. So you have to have enough darts for that. But absolutely. Fine. <laughs> yeah. Although you know, now I'm wondering. I should look at like. If they have a schedule or whatever for it, I'm like, is Pedro Pascal gonna be there? Like, he could be, because you know that's then the, I should the most probably important go in. and popular thing in Star Wars right now, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe I should try to get in whatever day that's happening. If there's some sort of mm. Mando thing going on, so I would, I, don't know. I would buy a Blu-ray of Wonder Woman 1984. What? Just to get him to sign it. Oh. <laughs> Can you imagine? I'm sure that doesn't happen super often. <laughs> that would be he was, he was Again, of all the problems of that film, it certainly yeah, it's not him. You know, he wasn't one of them. No, absolutely. He was he was great in that movie. <laughs> Just the movie yeah. was trash around him, unfortunately. Dog egg. Yep. Absolutely terrible. But yes, on my way to London, I now, I went, like, did a little shopping today. Um, which, you know, you get, I got get? some real clothes, but also I got this extra large stitch sweatshirt, which I, I did, probably I did didn't need. That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I but, love that. Oops. I accidentally <laughs> bought this, which I like. I literally, I walked in and I had just rewatched Lilo and Stitch the other day and I mm. love Stitch, like just one of my favorite characters. And I walked in there and it was like a miss racked at the end of a rack. So it was just staring out from the end, like. Corrigan, mm. you need this sweatshirt that is multiple sizes too big for you. And I was like, it's true, I do need that. And um, uh, I have no Disney regrets. need to give right. Disney need to give me a job in merchandising, right? <laughs> fucking hear me out. Okay. You know Hulk hands. Mm-hmm. Right, big old fucking. Hulk yeah, I think hands. we have one around here somewhere. There you go. They should do Lilo's. Uh, sorry, yeah, Lilo's sister thighs stick on thighs. <laughs> Yeah, I have a little sister with big thighs. Uh, the 
in Elastigirl has some thighs on her as well. Those are those She's are the got a thickest dump truck of an ass on her. Yeah. Elastigirl. <laughs> those are Mm-mm. some thick Disney characters I'm right here there. Here for it, <laughs> as they say. <laughs> yeah, when I started watching. Lilo and Stitch the other day, I was like, oh man, I know Mark must have loved this oh. character. <laughs> Banging set of thighs on the girl. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, you know, Elastigirl has the the whole kind of thick milf thing that I'm so deeply into. Yeah, it's like very much your vibe. Yeah. How did, <laughs> how did this happen? We were talking about Pedro Pascal like 13 seconds ago. What happened? Hey, what happened? Hey, what happened? (laughs) I got a wheel wet wagon. (laughs) I can't do my work. (laughs) This is, listen, there's like deliriousness happening (laughs) today. Yeah, a little bit. You're you're super tired. You're in the kind of the, the, you're me, aren't you? Like six months ago. Yeah, very much so. I think I was at, I got like 2.5 hours of sleep last night. My like restless leg kicked up horribly so that it was like one of the oh. things you do with like restless leg is just kind of like try to exhaust yourself so like read or watch tv or like play a video yeah. game or something to, until yeah. like your eyes just like give out normally that kind of works um and it was like literally i'd like pass out like i drop my phone on my face pass out and then the moment i fell asleep my legs would be like fuck no and start going yeah. again it was uh, horrible uh, it it is something that Laura gets from time to time, oh, and it, there's nothing worse. It's fucking horrible because, yeah. you know, like when you you know like when you have hiccups, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say for example, you've had a really brutal bout of hiccups. You've been going for like an hour, and it's yeah. fucking oh god, you hate it. And oh, oh, the hiccups have paused. Have they stopped? <laughs> right. Have they stopped? Have they... <gasps> there you go. There's no yep. hiccup. It's the same with Laura's RLS, right? Yeah. You know. A couple of seconds will go by. Jump. Oh, yeah. Oh, fuck. yeah. <laughs> and just jump. Fuck, 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 fuck. So I, I, when I wasn't sleeping, I would try and weight it down. So I would put both my legs on her leg. <laughs> uh, to try and wow. hopefully, hopefully get, maybe give the effect of like a weighted blanket. Maybe sure. it would be comforting for her if I laid my two big, hot, sweaty, hairy legs on her leg. <laughs> um, <clears throat> on, on. On one night, I'm ashamed to admit, I full on kicked her because oh, I, I was going out of my mind. And she was just perfectly sleeping, you know what I mean? Just just with this oh, jumping. So at least limb. she can sleep through it, which, yeah, yeah I cannot. It's, so you I know. Dealt it, her a swift kick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, it just kept me up until like four or five. And then I had to get up and take the dog to the vet. So I was what like, are you, "What are your me. physicians like at just doling out the the Z drugs?" <laughs> um, I don't know. You have to understand. Like here, we don't go to the doctor for things that uh, aren't like yeah, killing us. Yeah. So <laughs> the amount of money that would cost me to have someone yeah. try to fix that and like yeah, get a prescription or something like that. Is yeah. just like I'll just suffer. <laughs> it's not okay. worth it. When I say the Z do drugs, that. I don't mean like Zs as in snoring Zs. <laughs> I mean there's a class of drugs. Yeah, we've talked about drugs. it before. Good, right, fine. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, I thought you just meant. You thought, uh, I thought you might think I was just being cute. <laughs> You're very cute, but I understood what you were saying. Uh, so you don't. So what are you going to do then? So what are you going to do? Uh, hope that it doesn't keep happening. Yeah, uh, that's what I did, and it worked. So. Hey, there you go. Anyways, yeah, very tired and trying to keep it together as a result. But I'm like, I'm excited to be, I'm hoping, you know, it'll get a little better and it'll be less terrible or I'll be worn out enough while (laughs) vacationing that it won't be like this. You wouldn't know from the outside. Oh? If, if, yeah, if we weren't having this conversation now, you don't come across as, you are, (laughs) as it were. Uh, you don't you don't come across as somebody who's just, you know on on the brink. Oh, good. Well, so I'm glad about up. that. Except you can see the like bags under my eyes that everyone else can't. Can. But but our listeners can't. They can't see them. So I am bright eyed and bushy tailed, as far as everyone knows. <laughs> Podca- a bit of podcasting magic. Yes, exactly. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm very excited to. One of the things that. I just made a plan to do that hopefully will come through uh, is with your friend and mine, Paul, 
yeah. I messaged him and was like, Do you, we had talked before about this restaurant in London uh, called The Clink. Have you heard of it? We've spoken about it on this very Have podcast. We? Oh, yes. I do not remember that. See, there's where the tired comes in. You're starting um, to sound like me. Yeah, now I sound like you. What's going on here? So the clink for anyone else who's like me and doesn't remember talking about this on the podcast, um, the is a restaurant that is run essentially by inmates at a prison as a way of like giving them uh, these skills. They get a form of like certification. I don't know what British restaurant certifications are, so it means nothing to me, but there's some mm. sort of certification that they get out of this that makes it so that they can then work in like high-end restaurants um, after this. So it's like a high-end restaurant. And obviously as someone who's like a prison abolitionist, like this is the kind of thing that you want people to be able to do, you know, is mm. like the idea of rehabilitating people and making it so that they have a skill in the world that doesn't drive them to desperation that mm. leads to crime, you know? So much well, crime I'm is certain, desperation, you know? I'm certain this is a conversation <clears throat> we've had before, but it was certainly long ago enough that I don't remember what you would propose to do instead of prison. Right, so, like, programs like this, right? Instead of simply incarcerating people behind bars and leaving them there where they are just guarded and they you know, essentially get nothing out of this. The idea that when people um, offend in one way or another, they are uh, uh, treated according to what their mm. needs are. Um, and so a lot of people who are in prison are in there for things that really, like, there's no reason that you need to be there, right? Like, uh, homeless people need a home. Uh, you know, poor people need money. They need jobs. They need things like that. Um, mentally ill people need treatment for mental illness. Mm. And so rather than simply incarcerating people, you give them, you know, something that can rehabilitate them, make them functioning members of society. I mean, there's like, is it Norway that like literally even murderers live in like villages of people instead of being incarcerated? Um, right. There's a fucking topic that I would mm -hmm. love to explore. Alternative means... Yeah. Of dealing with criminals, crime. Yeah, it's like yeah. so we're so used the to there being. The yeah, <laughs> we're so used to it being like this is the same reason that it's so hard for people to imagine like a world without cops. Like, you know, Mike mm. Mulsher was talking about with us and talking about in, in I Am The Law. It's like because we're so used to it, we cannot fathom other solutions to it like what would you do without He's... cops well you'd have therapists you'd have people trained for mental health things you would have people who you know do all these different kinds of roles <laughs> rather yeah. than someone who simply arrests kills puts in jail things like that he's gonna need <clears throat> to come up with a second edition of that book soon uh, i mean just today just today um a report into the the Met Police has been published by yeah the, the one that the said that they are like racist misogynistic and whatever racist misogynistic <laughs> and homophobic yes that was it. racist homophobic and uh, misogynist yes and yeah. it was it was excoriating the just the mm -hmm. entire report is fucking horrible it's been it's been it's been the main it's dominated the news all day and it's yeah it's fascinating rough. too because like that's the kind of thing that like here it's hard to even be allowed to do studies on. The, you're finding that there in this study that obviously the exact same thing is happening here. We're just not really allowed to talk about it. Just like we don't keep track of uh, murders by police, things mm. like that. There's no databases of that except ones that are informal. So if if prison was abolished, so what, what of just violent criminals without any underlying... I mean, obviously that's that's rare as fuck. <laughs> right yeah it's a, not a, a normal thing this is i think we should come back to it as like a like yes. actually a topic because there's so yes. much to this and I, i've read uh, over covid i read like several books on prison abolition and things like that and there are a lot of really yep. you know interesting things that people propose in order to you know get rid of this this system um so yeah we'll we'll come back to that because there's a lot of a lot of stuff yeah. to talk about there um, and this week, we are, you know, we're doing things a little bit differently normally in cold open. Instead, we're going to, I'm going to tell you a story as our, our main topic after we talk a little bit about our watches and things like that. But as is normally the case with our cold open, Mark has no idea what it's about. 
None at all, none at all. And hey, doing things a little differently, that's a polite uh, and euphemistic way of <laughs> describing what this is. I mean, I, again, I, 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 I know I'm the weak link here, right? <laughs> it's fine. It's okay. no big deal. <laughs> You're here and everyone loves you and that's really what matters. Okay. Otherwise, I'd be talking to myself. I mean, I could just tell this tell this story, I suppose, but... Let's hear it. Where's the color? Well, do we want to talk about what we watched and things like that first? Well, that's, see, that's the other thing. I, I feel fucking bereft. I've I brought nothing. I've added nothing. I've brought nothing to the table here. Well, then fuck it. Let me tell you a story. Bring it. So, Mark. Mm. When I was a kid, I remember hearing a name on TV all the time. It was spoken in dark and ominous tones on the evening news. It was a punchline on sitcoms and even cartoons like the Animaniacs and Rugrats. Mm. And it was probably the first way that I heard about the idea of people taking their own lives, which was confusing. On the one hand, people seemed real fighty about it on World News Tonight as I sat in my dad's lap watching it every night. But then David Letterman was turning it into a hilarious top 10 list on his show. So I wasn't sure how I was supposed to feel about suicide, but I was hearing about it all the time. All because of this one guy. This one name. You know? Yes, I do. Who is it? Uh, I believe it's a Dr. Kevorkian. Dr. Jack Kevorkian. Mm. So let me tell you a little bit about this man. Oh, go ahead. Just to qualify this, I know nothing about this guy other than what you've just spoken about. And I even remember Letterman doing a top 10 based on Kaboki. And I think it might have been the same fucking episode that you're talking about. Oh, it must have been. Yeah, absolutely. So that's fascinating. There's a pop culture yeah, overlap a little bit, even if maybe he wasn't as significant Mm. over there as he was for us. So great. You don't know a lot about this guy. Let me tell you about him. Mm. Uh, Jack Kevorkian was born in 1928 to Armenian immigrants, one of three children, and according to his sisters, the favorite in the family. He was smart and funny, and as it turned out, preoccupied with death, but in like a jovial way. <laughs> kind of like us. Yeah, kind of like us. Like when we think and of like people. Like you, dear listener, I have no doubt. Yeah, I'm sure everyone listening to this right now, too, if you're still with us. <laughs> Um, When we think of people who kill for whatever reason um, and about their obsession with death, we tend to think of serial murderers who quietly tortured their family pet in the backyard or who, you know, gave everyone in the class the heebie-jeebies. But Kevorkian was neither creepy nor someone who tried to hide his curiosity. When he was in his medical residency, he requested that he be put on the night shift as that's when most people die So he could attempt to photograph patients' eyes at the exact moments of their deaths in order to study their eye movements. I like this guy. Yeah, and he was able to, he actually was able to catch some of these. Uh, Being present at the time of someone's death generally being medical professionals' least favorite part of the job, this little quirk was enough to earn him the nickname Dr. Death amongst his peers. Four out of ten. Try harder. (laughs) Come on. Yeah, but here's the thing is it's like they weren't teasing him. There's no indication that it was like in a derogatory way. Yeah, sure. Uh, They were just just kind of like, yeah, yeah. oh, there goes silly old Dr. Death taking pictures of the dead people again. Like it was just kind of a like, you know, a gentle (laughs) raz. Is is that an avenue of medicine then? Well, not medicine as such, but is there there a name for the study of death? Is Is it a thing? Do people... Yes. People do it? I mean, absolutely, right? Um, and I feel like it's a really obvious word that both of us know. And Surely necrology or something like that. <laughs> sure, something, something like metal that. Something. I don't know. I think that there's like a really obvious name and neither of us are thinking of it. But at the same time, I feel like whatever that is, like whatever coroners do, you know, they yeah. they study that's, or whatever that's like for that. post-death. That's post-mortem. Right. I'm talking yeah. about the fucking the moment. Like, yeah. like good old Jack is talking about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and from everything that I'm reading, at least at this time and like the, you know, mid 20th century, it certainly wasn't something a lot of people were putting effort into. I don't know if now that's more common. Um, mm. 
But certainly it was a little weird for him to be invested in, in that part yeah, of the process. Yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> he was largely fixated on how learning more about death and its processes could, ten- could potentially be useful to us, whether in better understanding the human body or alleviating pain or whatever else. And this also led to at least one idea that maybe sounded better in his head than in practice. Mm. Back when capital punishment was generally carried out by hanging or the electric chair, Kevorkian had an idea. Why not inject patients with something that would put them to sleep and then something else that would painlessly kill them? This is not the bad idea, obviously. Uh, Lethal injection wasn't a thing at this point, so he was actually way ahead of the game on what we would eventually end up doing. When are punishment. we talking? When, where are we? So this is like the here? 1950s or 60s, I think, somewhere in that ah, general vicinity. So uh, up, up, until, up until that point, methods of execution were electric hanging chair or electric hanging. Chair. Yeah. Well, well, well. Okay. Yeah. And I think it was possible until not that long ago, certainly at this point, that a prisoner could request firing squad as well. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that was a possibility, although not used very often uh oh, you wouldn't yes. would you no yeah hanging in electric chair were the normal ways in which capital punishment was carried out um and like obviously we're anti-capital punishment here but that he wanted to make it more humane is certainly a point in his favor however mm. he also had the bright idea that while the inmate was asleep under general anesthetic doctors could vivisect them and experiment on their organs <laughs> which would likely kill the patient. Yeah. Uh, if it didn't, they could then administer a lethal dose of anesthesia to finish the job. <laughs> Unders- this is all sounding like shit I would come out with. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. <laughs> Absolutely is. You and Jack would have had some great we conversations. Would, we, could, we could have hoisted a few, you know? <laughs> Understandably, the medical community was like, fuck no, dude. Uh, but believe it or not, he actually had approached several death row inmates who said that they mm. would be up for it. I mean, this is how surgery is performed. They put you under yeah, anesthesia yeah, yeah. and they yeah, operate yeah, on yeah. you. So in theory, uh, it's, you know, not technically the worst idea in the world. And he never wanted to do this on people who didn't consent, uh, but thought like, hey, if they're down, why not learn something while we're executing people? Yes. Uh, but again, this was <laughs> just to, to just to pull at that a little bit. Yeah. W- where's the problem? Well, one of the problems is that we're not that far out from World War Two, and wow. it sounds like Nazi shit. So uh, no, I don't know if I'm if I'm if you've sought my consent and I am eagerly giving right. my body to whatever fucking science it is you're doing. That's what he thought. Like he essentially was like. You know, it's not Nazi-ish. Like, people are like, this is, that's what they did. And and you have to think of, like, PR when it comes to anything like this. Like, imagine if the general public heard that people were being vivisected while still alive, um, you know, on death row. It would not go over super well because people are thinking of, you know, Mengele and things like that. Like, this does not yes. have a great reputation. So, yes. you know, it it's a, it's not necessarily... That it is a horrible, terrible, unethical idea to get consenting prisoners to allow you to do this kind of stuff. It's that at the same time, it's a potentially a sort great. of yeah. the optics aren't great, and potentially, if people aren't as ethical as <laughs> say yeah. Gaborkian is, um, yeah. imagine like the way that we treat prisoners now. I can see this practice being a thing that we do without people's consent all the time, like. You know. Which obviously abhorrent, fucking terrible. Right. But I mean, I've I've spoken before. I'm certain on this cast, maybe in the early days, about using the fucking worst of the absolute worst specimens <laughs> in the name of research. Right. And the problem is, who decides that? Because a chunk of the people who are on death row for heinous crimes didn't do them. You this know. is true. Yes, <laughs> and that's. That's where it gets a little yeah. murky. <laughs> right. Uh, and I mean, that's the thing is he's circumventing this by consent, right? Like, well, that's yeah, the that's, thing. that's the, 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 the golden fucking thing that I hadn't thought of, isn't it? Just get him to right. agree. Yeah. I mean, it feels very much like our consensual cannibal that we talked about yeah. before, right? Like, hey, 
you know, and it'll get more so as we go on, kind okay, of okay, reflect okay, okay. that. I'm into this, by the way. I'm super into this. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> um, yeah. So it obviously never got picked up, although the idea of lethal injection clearly mm. later would. Um, he said... Sounds like a Lionsgate film, doesn't it? Lethal injection. <laughs> Your obsession with Lionsgate films is always amusing. So he said... <clears throat> My motive for pursuing this campaign is not to help alleviate the continuing shortage of organs. Rather, it would be just a byproduct of my aim to convince a self-centered medical profession and an insouciant society to civilize the way the death penalty is inflicted. Nice. In other words, he was mainly putting forth the idea of vivisection and study and organ donation and whatnot as a means to convince doctors to use a more humane method of putting inmates to death. As he figured, without such a reason, reason, they'd just keep on torturing people with the chair. Uh-huh. So he's like, yeah, it's really not about the what we can do with the organs and all that. It's just that it's a reason to yes. knock people it, out yeah, humanely. It's, it, it's an end in and of itself. And right. Uh, I'm not convinced I've remembered it rightly, but wasn't the figure something like 33% or 30%? Of electric chair executions get fucked up somehow. I feel like that is maybe more than it was, but it's okay. It was we had a, a good three amount. in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Some we it is in one of our past episodes. We we did talk about that. Um, it's too many for sure. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> During the Vietnam War, he also pitched the idea of experimenting with conducting blood transfusions from dead people into living ones, reasoning that. On the battlefield, this could potentially save lives. If one soldier died and had the right blood type to donate to someone who'd been wounded, you mm. could pop the needle in and do the transfusion right then and there. So, yeah, you know, yeah, he yeah. pitched the idea that basically everyone has a card with their blood type on it and you could just check. Yeah. Um, the Pentagon wasn't interested in this, though. And on the domestic front, the medical community felt it was totally unnecessary. There's plenty of regular old blood around for transfusions without having to use corpses. I think as a as a wartime protocol, I think that's a, you know, I think that's got legs. Yeah, potentially, you know, I I think the thing is, you know, maybe his ideas were like either impractical or didn't look great or, you know, things like that. When it comes to, again, a dead soldier, I think the level of consent there is tricky. <laughs> like families might not want their relatives blood drained into someone or you know any number of they might not want that to happen they could be a jehovah's witness and not do blood transfusions you know what i'm hearing here is a lot of ideas that are ahead of their time when the world isn't ready for yeah i mean yeah or they're impractical or whatever the case may be like he was just very invested in kind of using death and Mm. he it made him very difficult to employ (laughs) <laughs> because everywhere he went, he had these ideas and people were like, we, this guy, we can't, mm. we can't have him here. Um, but undaunted by continuously pitching ideas people hated, uh, in the 70s, Kevorkian invented what he called the Mercytron, a cobbled together contraption upon which there were three IV bottles, one with sodium pentothal to put the patient to sleep, yeah. one with potassium chloride to cause death. Yeah. and one with a saline solution that would start the IV drip. Being unable to test his simple machine out on a shelter dog due to laws against vivisection of adopted animals, he instead put out ads looking for a suicidal human. So, real shades of our consensual cannibalism guy right here, right? Has has, (laughs) has this guy ever had like a biopic made of him, like a movie of his life? Mm Because, 2010. I'd like to see see that. Yeah, Um, it has... Al Pacino in it. Um, yeah. So, yes, he, he did have that. Um, she got a dead ass! <laughs> so, he didn't find anyone that way. But when an article ran in a newspaper about him, a fifty year old, 54-year-old woman named Janet Atkins, who'd been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, got in touch. Yeah. While she wasn't terminal, and doctors said she could potentially have years before the worst of the disease hit her, her quality of life was deeply hindered by her fear of what was to come. Yeah. She'd had a big and full life of adventure, and she was paralyzed by the thought of going out miserable and, you know, a shell of herself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus, 
she worried that if she let the disease progress to the point where, you know, she'd lost her faculties and all that, the choice to end her life would be taken away from her, whether with help or by her own hand. Yep. Yep. So for her, waiting for it to get bad didn't yep. feel like a viable the, choice. The dignitas paradox, isn't it? You can only right. choose exactly. to end your life when you've still got useful life left. Exactly that, yeah. So Kevorkian met with Janet and her husband, who were members of a group called the Hemlock Society that championed the right to choose what they called rational suicide. He recorded all of their sessions on VHS tape and would continue to do this with each patient he aided in ending their lives so that should any questions arise, it would be clear that they had made this choice of their own volition and that they were aware of what choosing physician-assisted suicide meant. So in these videos, several of which can be seen in a 1996 PBS Frontline episode, which I've linked to in the blog, um, which is also in the description uh, of the podcast, um, he asks patients to say plainly that they know they are going to die, to actually actively use the word death, no euphemisms for it, not I'm ending my life or any of that kind of stuff, but he wants them to say, I am going to die. Um, And... Uh, Kevorkian and the Atkinsons chose a day, and on that day, she used the Mercytron to end her own life. And it was with that that Kevorkian became a nationwide sensation, accused of the murder of Janet Atkins. Yep. There was no law against physician-assisted suicide in Michigan, where he practiced at the time, though. So the charges were dropped. And now that his name was known throughout the country, dozens of people contacted him, begging him to help them die. While many of his critics argued that Kevorkian was basically just meeting people and giving them a quick fix to their problems, in the PBS doc, he talks about several patients with whom he spent years making sure this was the right decision. And one of the things I found fascinating was that often part of that process was actually making sure that their families were on board with this. Mm. Uh, Like in the case of a woman named Sherry, who suffered from multiple sclerosis. Uh, she was clearly deeply miserable when they met. If you've ever known anyone with MS, it is painful and difficult to ha- to deal with. Mm. Um, but when they met, Kevorkian could tell that her family wasn't really with her on this at this point. Um, and so he spent over a year with Sherry. And by the time was cho- the choice was officially made, her family was at peace with the decision. And her sister held her hand as she passed. And the same day that Sherry ended her life, Kevorkian aided another woman named Marjorie, whom he'd been talking to for two and a half years about her decision. Marjorie complained of absolutely debilitating pelvic and vaginal pain, pain so excruciating that even after taking sleeping pills, she was only managing about a half hour of sleep every night. She had tried to take her own life several times already, uh, but doctors claimed the pain was psychosomatic. She was institutionalized. They attributed it to her major depression. And indeed, on autopsy, no visible physical reason for her pain was discovered. That said, let me (laughs) tangent a little caveat, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Women's healthcare was trash then and is still trash now. Ask any woman with endometriosis how long they suffered through pain that made them want to die every month while doctors mm. disbelieved them and refused to run tests that would help them find out what was wrong. Uh, Bindi Irwin just had surgery for her endometriosis after suffering for a full decade. A rich, famous public figure had to wait a decade to get that pain taken care of. Mm. And I know that even though my own cramps and bleeding have me throwing up and sweating and bedridden for days every month until I started birth control, that is. Transvaginal ultrasounds and other tests found absolutely no physical reason why I should be having that problem. No endometriosis, no tumors, nothing of the sort. But the pain was extremely real. So the idea that just because there was nothing physical there with this particular patient doesn't really mean that that was the case. It just probably means she was a woman with shit going on in her uterus yeah, that no one was p- taking seriously. These examinations were after death. Right. Is that exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. 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 So while she was alive, they were just like, there's nothing wrong. You're just you're just depressed. Mm. You know, a little time in the institution will help you out. Straighten you out, yep. 
Yeah. Another doctor, Dr. Timothy Quill, who was somewhat critical of Kevorkian, but had on at least one occasion participated in a physician-assisted suicide and written about it in a medical journal, said that, if anything, that Kevorkian was so sought after by people with chronic pain conditions was more of an indictment on the state of healthcare in America than anything else. Mm. The doctors had failed to listen to these people, to believe their pain and to do their best to alleviate it. And Kevorkian listened believed them, and for better or for worse, helped them to solve their problem. Yeah. It's like, honestly, in the PBS thing, it's it's kind of wild to watch all these male doctors in the documentary go on about like, oh, how she should have taken more treatment for pain and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, bullshit. No one was giving her that option. Like, so sh- maybe she would be alive now, you know, but it's not really her fault that no one took her seriously. Um... So Marjorie and Sherry both ended their life in a rustic cabin in the mountains in Michigan. For whatever reason, it wasn't really explained in the PBS doc, but for some reason, Kevorkian couldn't insert the IV into Sherry's vein, uh, which meant that he'd have to use carbon monoxide instead, which takes about five minutes as opposed to the almost instantaneous process with the drip. So he said to her, like, we can wait. You know, it's not a rush uh, you know, we can come back and do this another time and make sure that this works. And Sherry literally raised her hand and said, next. Uh, she was, you know, ready to go. Yeah. Uh, because of Kevorkian, Michigan rushed to get a law on the books prohibiting physician-assisted suicide. Two months before it was to be enacted, he aided a man named Hugh Gale, who had been suffering from emphysema for decades. At this point, he hadn't left a chair in his living room for five years. He even slept in it, and if in his sleep he moved, he'd wake up drowning in his own mucus. Hugh told Kevorkian on video that man was keeping him alive, hooking him up to machines and giving him medicines to prolong his life. Mm. If God had taken him in his timing, he would have been dead ages ago. And this is something that Kevorkian and his supporters often talked about. People accused him of playing God, but in his opinion, the medical establishment making people continue living when left on their own, they would die, was more playing God than helping them to end their lives peacefully. Sure. He helped multiple patients who suffered from ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease, which, Mm. again, if you've ever known anyone who's had it, is one of the absolute cruelest diseases out there. It strikes hard and fast, taking you from perfect health to withered shell to death in a few short years. Um, It's pretty much unsurvivable. Uh, I, I in fact, had a friend named Sean who he was active, a surfer, an involved dad, a pastor, wonderful human being with a hugely full life. Uh, He got ALS within a year. He could do absolutely nothing for himself, confined to a wheelchair. He could barely speak. And within two years, he was dead. Um, And he suffered every single moment of that, albeit, you know, with a smile, because that was the kind of person that he was. Um, But in this video, um, in this, I think this was in the PBS doc too. Either way, in Kevorkian's videos of this guy, he meets with this 30-year-old father who has ALS and his wife about a year into his battle. And each Mm -hmm. syllable this guy tries to get out, because it's so hard to, like, talk with this, takes him, like, 10 10 to 15 seconds, you know, just to get a syllable out. And his wife, crying, says that he just wants, she just wants him to be at peace. Because the new law said that anyone who was present at a physician-assisted suicide could be prosecuted, it was advised that his wife not be there, as many of the other families had been. So they said their goodbyes that morning, and then Kevorkian called afterwards to tell her that everything had gone well. She described that feeling that morning as one of, quote, euphoria, not happy, dreamlike. And you can see these videos in these videos that there's always that kind of bittersweetness to it. But one thing that stood out to me in the Frontline episode was one doctor who claimed it would have been just fine with this same patient if the patient had chosen to stop eating and drinking and doctors gave him some medicine to make it less painful and he just slowly starved to death. And the yeah, yeah. the frontline doctor, they're like, is that not physician-assisted suicide? I'm like, no, totally different. 
but like what a horrible way to go like <laughs> this guy going painlessly is wrong but if he just starved himself over the course of a couple weeks that's totally acceptable basically would have been better for him to suffer on a technicality does does do his methods risk from a legal point of view having the opposite effect i mean it, does it not risk him you know the 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 states in which he was working tightening laws on assisted suicide as opposed to right. you know if if i guess his ultimate goal would be a, 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 an informed and intelligent a rational conversation about assisted suicide right. but is is doing it in a guerrilla way like he was doing just risking the very opposite effect that's i mean that's exactly what happened um and i'm just about to get into sort of what happened in mm. the courts and everything but yeah it is a mix of both sides of that very much so mm. kevorkian's lawyer kept him out of jail um, because the courts essentially ruled that Michigan's anti-physician assistance suicide law was unconstitutional. Um, yeah. You know, you have that right to, to bodily autonomy. You can't tell someone that they can't do that. Um, uh-huh. it, but it was another ALS patient that finally got Kevorkian actually prosecuted, and he did it on purpose, um, which he explains in an episode of 60 Minutes, which I also link to in the description and the blog. Um, he wanted to use this as a way of bringing attention to what he saw as an absurd and tyrannical system that deprived people of bodily autonomy. So in his interview with 60 Minutes, he insisted that they play a video of the death of a 52-year-old 52-year-old Detroit resident named Thomas Uke. Mm. As with his other videos, Kevorkian talks with talks him through the process, makes sure he knows what it means, and has him sign two different affidavits saying that he's making this choice of his own volition and that he wants to die. In all of his other videos, the patient had, admi- uh, had administered the lethal injection to themselves, which is the technicality that made it so that he'd come out of his last four I trials see. unscathed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In this one, however, Kevorkian himself administered the dose. Showing this on television uh, meant his prosecution was absolutely certain. Now he had actively killed someone. And indeed, he was convicted. And the judge said, quote, You had the audacity to go on national television, show the world what you did, and dare the legal system to stop you. Well, sir, consider yourself stopped. Yeah, there's, there's not much wiggle room there, is there? No, not at all. And he very much knew that. Uh, she sen- sentenced him to 10 to 25 years, of which he served eight. Now, Gavorkian was a complicated figure. <laughs> he mm. was big and bombastic. If you, I highly recommend watching, like especially the 60 Minutes interview, where I think you get more of his personality as opposed to like the PBS one is really interesting. You see these interviews that he holds with people and everything, but you're getting kind of a subdued version of him there as opposed to when he's sort of passionately defending his position. He's, you know, <laughs> people accused him of narcissism. Uh, they said that he really just wanted to see people die and found a way to do that. Um, and when he would be accused with that, he'd just be like, yeah, maybe that's possible <laughs> instead of wow. denying it. He'd be like, but, I, you know, maybe so. But I still think I'm helping people either way. You know, like he really he was confrontational. And, you know, didn't really give a shit. He thought, I what I'm doing is so good for humanity that, yeah, you know. The, the purpose is the fucking, you right. know, the, 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 the thing. Yeah. So, you know, definitely some narcissistic tendencies there. Um, people talked about, like, I mean, he didn't really have, like, long-lasting relationships and things like that. Like, he was not a person who was, like, easy to be in a relationship with, like, in any capacity of his life, you know? Um, But he was very, he was smart, he was interesting, all of this kind of stuff, but very hard to (laughs) be friends with, stuff like that. Um, And there were plenty also, though, of, like, disability rights groups that were vocally critical of what he was doing. Um, because it is absolutely something we should worry about in our eugenics happy society that normalizing euthanasia could be 
catastrophic for people with disabilities, if not implemented extremely carefully. So anytime you see something like people with MS or things like that, like, you know, uh, going through the process of euthanasia, you really have to think about, like, is there pressure from other people in their lives? You know, are people telling them they're a burden and they need to get rid of them? Are they really choosing for themselves? Is this coercion? Is there financial fucking coercion going on? Right. And is there like a stigma? Is there an idea that being disabled is a fate worse than death, which makes people choose it, um, Mm. you know, more frequently than they would if society was better about disabled people. So there's a ton of reasons why, you know, when we talk about these kinds of end of life choices, like Kevorkian is someone who isn't, he's not beholden to any forms of boards or like his ethics are his own, you know, and that means that this, you know, if not uh, employed correctly, uh, this could potentially be a very bad thing. So, yeah, he was absolutely criticized by disability rights people um, at the time for being like, this is, (laughs) this could get really bad if we just sort of allow this in a blanket way. But Kevorkian was also hugely important, both for the people he helped and their families, and for starting a nationwide conversation we're still dealing with today. Did you say it was it was very much his intent to get prosecuted? Yeah, he wanted to sort of get up there and be like, you know, you can put me in jail for this, but what I'm fighting for is so much bigger, you know, and let's sensationalize this trial and all of this kind of stuff. But like, this gives me a chance to present my argument, you know, that like to all these people are going to be watching the evening news and seeing this and you know, talking about it, you know, and talking about what they feel about this and his perspective, which I think is correct. I didn't see this. This was referenced in some things that I read, but without like a a specific study to back it up. But in fact, it was shown that like most people generally have a favorable opinion towards physician assisted suicide and, and, Mm. you know, euthanasia as a way of ending your life humanely. Um, So even though these kinds of things become like a huge deal, uh, actually for most Americans, like when they really think about it, they often kind of are like, that's kind of how I'd like to go. Or if things got painful, that's what I would want, that kind of thing. So he was kind of like, by putting this out here and letting me make my argument, he figured rationally people would come to his side. They would, you know, agree with him on these things. Um, so in the Frontline documentary, we see the families of the people he helped get together for a big celebration. And the families actually became very close to one another. Um, and at this celebration, they're wearing oh, pins. his patients, families of his, his patients. His patients, yeah. Love that. Exactly, yeah. So they're wearing pins that say, I back Jack on them. Mm. And uh, they, you know, they go and they basically, you know, all the names are read off and they get to hear good things about their relatives and all of that kind of stuff, which is now in states like Oregon, where you can do um, physician assisted suicide, uh, a lot of times, like you see people have like parties, like, uh, and then go to the other room and like, you know, end their life or whatever. And it's like, yeah, it's kind of a cathartic thing for everybody. And what's so fascinating about this is that like, you see how different it is for families and friends to heal this way than when someone takes their life suddenly and in secret. Mm. So I'm certainly not going to lionize the guy as unproblematic, you know, as just a straight hero. But I think it is safe to say that his becoming so ubiquitous, they were referencing him in my afternoon cartoons, has had a lasting impact on the way that Americans think about it. They didn't give a fuck, did they? Yeah, constantly throwing shit in there that you're like that's not for kids Rugrats though I remember that on Rugrats too and that surprised me Mm. (laughs) it was everywhere absolutely everywhere Uh, and I think yeah it forced it forced Americans to think about something that I think otherwise I don't think there was a conversation that was leading to this in any way being a formalized practice you know, which is why all these people were trying to come to him because there was nowhere else really that you could you could find yeah. that. Uh, and this detail is fascinating. Thank you. It it really feels as though the 
the the scrutiny should have been on a system that needs somebody like him to exist. Right. Exactly. Like at the end of the day, it's not really about Kevorkian himself. No, he no, no, allowed no. himself to become this big figurehead of this movement and everything, but at, but really it comes down to our lack of options, whether that's for pain relief, whether that's for mental health care, whether that's being believed when we say what's wrong with us, mm. um, you know, whatever the case may be, people were not able or even having physician assisted suicide within a actual medical setting and not in a cabin or this guy's yeah. car or things like that. I think like, there's- there's, there's also, I, uh, there's, there's way more to this. This is a fucking colossal discussion. But I mean, particularly, I don't know, in the Western world, there's still death is still fucking bounded up in just really fucking ancient ways of thinking. It's still bounded up with with notions of God and and mm-hmm. morality and yes. or what is a good death or that's a good death, a bad death. Right. The taboo, the fucking, the the fact that it isn't spoken about freely and openly it's feared it's hidden uh all of those all of those things and then you know and religion and god and ideas of of what goes what a good christian death is you know well, all of did these you fucking, did our terry shivo case make it over there was there no, like a conversation about I that at all in britain believe so that was when I was in college and uh terry shivo was a woman who'd been in like a vegetative state for a long yeah. time, I think yeah, decades, yeah. something like that, um, clearly was not coming back from whatever had happened mm. to her. And it became this like nationwide debate that largely circled around religion. Um, mm. And I remember, you know, going to a Christian university that like there would be debates about it in class and stuff like that. You exactly. Know, that, yeah. like, oh, you won't go to heaven. You know, right, you, you know, life, and, you and is it murdering it. her to, yeah, to take her off of those, yeah. you know, to take her off of the things, the feeding tube and all that kind of stuff. And eventually she, they were allowed to, I think it was like her husband or something like that versus her family trying to determine whether to unplug her, essentially. Yeah. Um, which, of course, this is America. I'm sure it was absolutely draining every bit of money, too, that oh, yeah. uh, that day. they had. Yeah. Um, and it ended up being, yeah, like a nationwide thing. There were protests. This was on the evening news every day. One woman, uh, you know, whether it was OK to take her off of life support when she wasn't technically dead, but like, you know... The, religiously, people believe that that was yeah. the wrong thing to do. But reason, you know, even recently over here, there was that kid. What was his name Archie Battersby over here recently? I think it was last year. Uh, just absolutely no air quotes life left right. for the kid at all. Just had, had been brain dead for so long. But for whatever reason, and and there's you know plenty of trains of thought as to why. But the parents just adamantly do not turn him off. Don't turn him right. off. For why? For why? For why? So it's like, you know, once every, you know, in a bajillion patients, there's someone who happens to wake up way, way later. And that is, that's enough. And if you're religious, you know, it is, you have to have faith that that is going to be your kid too, or you're murdering him. Yeah, of course, of course. And so, yeah, what he was trying to do, what Kevorkian was very much trying to do was to divorce religion from death. You know, he thought government and religion had no place in determining how someone can choose for themselves to die and thought that, like, basically all of this stuff was wrapped up in exactly what you were just saying. Like, all these concepts of morality and God and stuff like that, that really had no place in someone's choice unless it was their own. You know, Mm. if your own faith says I can't kill myself, like, then... Okay, you know, but one of the people that he talks to in that in his videos is Catholic, um, you know, and still makes this decision. So it's really his thing was like, we can't sort of be imposing these Mm. ideas about death and who's in charge. Like, you know, like I said, it's it's wild. That guy who's like, oh, if he starved himself, that'd be fine. Yeah. (laughs) It's the same end. It's just longer and more painful. But it's okay, you know, there's so much like cognitive dissonance and weirdness wrapped up in how we decide what's allowed 
Yes. And as far as uh, Dr. Jack Kevorkian goes, he he is a very Joag character. Yes. Extremely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, he would he would hang. <laughs> well, no, he'd, he'd use the... <laughs> he would, uh, yeah. He would not, in fact, <laughs> hang. It's worth noting he did not use his own machine when he died. He died in hospital in 2011. Um, just... Yeah, I what did think... he call it again? The Humanitron or something? What did he call Mercytron. it? Mercytron. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> even even that, even that, there's an element of the showman. Yes, exactly. It's a, a little bit of a yeah, P.T. Barnum of death, yeah. if you will. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and he was unapologetic about that, and he did in fact get to see his biopic and make the rounds with the cast of that and everything. So I think that you know. That is something for us all to hope for, isn't it? That we get to live to see our own fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, I guess in so. Good, in a good way, perhaps. I don't know. I don't know if I want anything to happen to me that anyone would make a movie about. Uh, it doesn't have to be a. It doesn't have to be a bad movie. Yeah, I don't know. What What else would people make a movie about? Uh, I don't think I'm gonna like invent something. Oh, come on. <laughs> you could. could. I don't know. <laughs> what, what's my mercy, Tron? We'll find out. We will. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. And more importantly. <laughs> uh, yes, stay spooky. Hello, everyone. Thank you. Bye.